And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits and the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. But the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that gathers us here. We thank you for the truth that is in it, the mystery of the gospel, of God who became flesh, lived among us, who died for us, who's resurrected and is coming again soon. Lord, we ask that you'd turn our hearts towards you now. We ask that you would uh, be with us by your Spirit. Lord, we think of the, the many needs that are represented in this room. Lord, for those whose minds are elsewhere, uh, for those who have had a terrible holiday time, whether it's things at home, things at work, whether it's health, mental health, Lord, we know that you are near the brokenhearted. We know that you hear the prayers of those who call on you. We ask that you would bind them up. We ask that you would heal. We ask that you would bring peace. We ask that you would bring provision. Lord, we think of this place that we're in. We think of our neighbors. We think of this, this city, 
the Boston, the state, this country, the leaders that um, lead. Lord, we ask that you would be with them, give them wisdom. May justice be served. Lord, may there be peace. Lord, as we go to this text, we ask that you be with me, that any words that are not true, that would, they would fall away. But Lord, as we just sang, that all glory would be to Christ. Lord, lift our hearts up to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you and Happy New Year. Like I said, I'm with RUF, which stands for Reform University Fellowship. It's the campus ministry of the PCA, uh, this denomination. And uh, you may or may not know, but Bradley had a stint in RUF at Harvard. And when I refer to, I started BU-RUF about uh, 10, 11 years ago. Um, well, no, it's only nine years ago. Um, but there was proto-RUF before there was BU-RUF. Bradley would come across the river and he did a bold Bible study and so I'm very grateful for the connections he made, and we still benefit from that. So we're also very happy to hear about Wellesley RUF being started. I'm super stoked about that. It's good to see Catherine and James here. So I am uh, here preaching at the tail end of preaching a semester long in Revelation to college students, and we looked at it through the theme of hope. There's a lot of mysterious stuff. There's a lot of complicated stuff in this book, but we do know that the intention of the author, the intention of God is that we would be filled with hope as we read this book. Um, At the tail end of this book, we have this great declaration three times, Jesus is coming soon. I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. So we're going to focus on that tonight. Uh, We've wrapped up Christmas season, in which we probably watch movies again and again and again. I don't know of any other time in uh, the calendar that we, yeah, love a rerun, right? And I think the reason, one of the reasons why these movies and these stories that we tell around Christmas time are so captivating, because they're stories of hope. Whether it's a wonderful life, there's a reason to live, There's, there's, uh, there's hope in this world, Whether it's love, actually, there's hope for romance, right? I think each of us could probably say our our favorite Christmas movie has something to do with our personal hopes and desires in our life. But here we are, New Year's Day. We have one more day tomorrow on the 3rd. We forget all of that hope. We forget the gift of Jesus sending, of God sending his son And it's time to get real. No more fairy tales. Pull up the bootstraps. Get to it. I think it's a good time, though, as we maybe have a few more hours to reflect before the busyness enters in again, to ask, is there a hope that endures all year long? A hope for all seasons. More specifically, is the story that we tell, the story of hope that we kind of Hold dear, is it a true and durable story? 
As I've said, Revelation is a story of hope. It's a story of the second coming of the Savior that filled us hope uh, with such hope during Advent season. But Revelation turns our own stories of hope upside down. It turns them on their head. It rewrites them and it redeems them. It tells, in fact, a better story, the story of the whole cosmos. It's not just about us. It's from the perspective of God. And it situates us in that story as people who are receiving this prophecy about something that's coming in the future, not someone's future, but our future. Someday, soon, Jesus is coming soon. I want to look at this from three angles, ask three questions. Jesus is coming soon, so what? So what? Jesus is coming soon, what now? What actual difference does that make in my day-to-day life? And lastly, Jesus is coming soon, well, what do you mean by soon? How long? How long? First, Jesus is coming soon, so what? The Christian story finds its center in the incarnation of Jesus, right? The the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. But as soon as Jesus grows up and starts his ministry, he starts to predict these events that will happen to him, things that he is going to do, his own death and his resurrection, that he's going to be away for a while, and then he's going to come back. In Mark, he says, stay awake. I'm going to be coming back. One day. And Luke, Jesus says, Be ready. I'm coming at an hour you don't expect. And when he comes, it'll be like a flash of lightning across the sky. We will all know that he is here. And so, Revelation is not really something new in terms of Jesus has already predicted about himself that he is coming back. And here at the end of the book of Revelation, we're seeing uh, once again Jesus prophesying, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Often we forget this truth in the day-to-day grind of life. Maybe we've missed it altogether. Maybe the Christian faith and the Bible is all about what happened back then, right? We have a lot of focus rightly on the cross, on the resurrection, on stuff that happened in the past. But is it also a story of the future? our future. When I was a kid, I loved um, ripping off the, uh, the, the paper uh, chain that I had made for the 25 days leading up to Christmas. And each day, you know, you see visually, we're one day closer to Christmas, right? It may have been about the presents more than Jesus' birth then, but um, I think it's safe to say that a lot of us probably don't have a chain that we tear off every day we wake up and say we're one day closer to Jesus' return. Why is that? Why don't we wait for Jesus' return with expectation like a child? I think there are reasons for this. We bought into different narratives for our lives. We have different things that we're hoping for. I want to speak to two general kind of categories. Uh, Maybe each of these you see yourself in, and it's not just one. 
Uh, generalizations always fail, but bear with me. The first one is a story of self-expression, the self-expression narrative. Living in this narrative, we live to find ourselves. We want to explore who we are and to encourage others in the journeys towards that end. Uh, for young people, maybe it's choosing your major in college. This is going to define the rest of my life. I have to find out who I am. Maybe if you're in high school, it's your friends. Middle school, too, really all your life. <laughs> who are your friends? Maybe it's your outfit. Maybe if you're in a house that's new and you're decorating, how am I going to design this? Is it going to be Ikea, Crate and Barrel, or Pottery Barn, or what, what's my aesthetic? How is it going to say something to the world about who I am? Maybe it's your Spotify playlist. Maybe it's uh, what top 10 list of albums or books you're going to tweet out to the world so they know who you are. This is the self-expression narrative. It's very present-oriented, right? You want to be yourself now, be authentic now. But it subtly tells a story. It subtly places hope in a future where all the expectations of others are kind of put away and you're free to be yourself and other people are free to be themselves. So that's the first one, the self-expression narrative. The second one is the success narrative. This narrative is that of the American dream. It's creating a better life for yourself and your family. It's navigating the world in such a way that positions you to achieve the greatest outcomes, to find yourself on top, having maximized your potential in every area of life. It, by nature, is very future-focused. It's always focused on what's next. But it still is earthbound. It's about what can I accomplish, what can I achieve in this life, and therefore it's often materialistic. The narrative of the gospel is not just an alternative third choice, it's completely different. It confronts both, it introduces an entirely different story about not just you and your life, but the whole cosmos. And I think this phrase, these four words, Jesus is coming soon, sums up that story. What this centers on is not you, your identity, your success, but it's centered on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his glory. So to live our lives, we could call this the Advent narrative. That's really the narrative of the Christian story, the Christian life. To live your life according to this narrative, that Jesus is coming soon, is to orient everything around him. He's the center of reality, not me. It means that um, everything is affected by this. Instead of finding ourselves, it means submitting our entire selves to him. Jesus says, he who desires to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Instead of a success story, it means redefining success in God's terms. 
Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus' greatest joy was to obey his father. And it was his father's will, and therefore Jesus' greatest joy to go to the cross, to go to his death, to bear the punishment for the sins of his beloved and rise from the dead. And because that was his story, he invites us in to his story. We are now included, not excluded, into this story. We are not our own, but we are his. Well, Jesus is coming soon. What now? After maybe this is just, we've just been rocked by, okay, Jesus is coming soon is the story, is the thing that I should be hoping for, hoping in. What do I do tomorrow? How? How are we to live our life as if Jesus is actually returning? I think our passage teaches us at least three things. First, that we're called to pursue holiness. We're called to remain close to and long for Jesus And lastly, we're called to worship. We're called to be holy. Let's start with that. I I want to start with this one because I think a lot of times when we maybe read or experience or, or maybe even hear people teach on the book of Revelation, this is what it's about. It's about get ready, get yourself ready because Jesus is coming. In verse 12, maybe some of those Fears or some of those vibes come up for you. Maybe you're haunted by verse 12. I am coming soon bringing recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. If you are an achiever, if you focus on how you're doing in your life, all the alarms are going off right now. This is not an empty threat. I'm not about to say this is not actually true. What I want to say is, how does holiness come about? It's not through instilling fear in each one of us. Holiness does not come about because of a seed of fear. No, it's a work of God in your heart to raise you from the dead, to make you born again to give you a new identity as a child of God. In the first season of the Netflix series, The Crown, it was so amazing to see this young woman, Queen Elizabeth, being crowned at such a young age. I'm sure they actually had a fitted crown for her, but in some way, the crown didn't fit, right? She did not feel up for this task that she had been given. If we have been called children of God, are we up to that task? None of us are. But we, if justification by faith is true, we are declared righteous. We are declared holy. We are called children of God, and we can never lose that identity. Nothing can change that. Maybe this will change how you read verse 10. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. What we're called to is be who you are in Jesus. 
Be a child of God. So cast off sin. Sin is unbecoming to who you are. Cast it off. How do you become righteous and holy? Once again, if, if it wasn't clear, verse 14, those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. You don't bring white robes to heaven. You bring rags. You bring filthy robes, and the blood of the Lamb is what has cleansed them. If that's true of you, all who have repented and believed in Christ, that is true right now. It's not something we wait for. How do you keep going once that has happened? Well, if Jesus meant so much for that, then he means everything all the time. We're called to remain close to Jesus, to long for more of him, hold fast to the truth. God's love will never let you go. Why would you want to let go of him? Why would you want to go, let go of someone who loves you with that kind of love? Hold fast to him. Verse 17 speaks of those who thirst, coming and having their thirst quenched. And, and those who've had their thirst quenched by Jesus, saying to others, come, this water, there's no price. Are you thirsty? Come and drink of the rivers of life, the water of life. Are you thirsty? Do you long for more of Jesus? Come to him. Come to him. This is how and why we too can be ones that say, come Lord Jesus. Because that's what we want more than anything. Lastly, we're called to worship. In chapter one, if you're to read uh, how John the apostle receives this vision, this first vision, he falls flat on his face and he starts worshiping uh, the angel. So this is not the first time that has happened. Uh, here at the end, he still hasn't learned the lesson because what this angel is telling him and what this angel probably looks like is that profound that he falls down and he worships the messenger. But this angel says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. What do you worship? What captures your awe, your admiration, where you're lost in wonder and you start to forget yourself? We are notoriously self-conscious, self-aware, self-curating creatures. I'm not going to bash social media. I think social media only makes that problem maybe more apparent to us. That because of, uh, because of this kind of self-consciousness and self-awareness about our identity, about what we post, we're all the more discontent with who we are. We're all the more miserable and sometimes even despairing. Imagine the joy of, of forgetting yourself, of getting caught up in the wonder and beauty of something so majestic and glorious that you don't want to take your eyes away. And even better, this being 
loves you and knows you intimately and personally, the good and the bad. The the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Worship is that, and we can do that now. We do that on Sunday, but this is obviously more than just what we do on Sundays. This is a frame of mind, getting caught up in who God is and his glory. And when we worship, we are experiencing our destiny. We are experiencing a little bit of that tree of life. We are tasting of it. Well, Jesus is coming soon. How long? I think kids are prone to want to know, okay, when? When exactly? How soon? Are we there yet, right? This is a question that inevitably rises, and unfortunately, a lot of people make predictions, and it's so ironic, because it's the one thing Jesus was crystal clear on in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. But friends, there's encouragement to know that as we've just celebrated and remembered in the season of Advent, this is not the first time that the people of God have waited for Jesus. This is not the first time. Advent, as I'm sure you've, you've heard many times, is the Latin for arrival, coming. I want you to think of the last manger scene you've uh, seen or maybe, maybe just stashed away. Maybe the nativity scenes are still out in front of churches. Uh, my son has one that if you press down on the star, it plays away in a manger. Um, I want to talk about this star for a second. Ever since God promised Adam and Eve that one day one of their descendants, an offspring of the woman, would come and slay the dragon. If you want to learn about the dragon, go back a little ways in Revelation. You'll learn about that ancient serpent, the devil, being slain by Christ. There have been these prophets, ever since that original one, there have been these prophets that reminded the people of God and foretold again about the coming Messiah Balaam is one of these, and he says in Numbers 24, 17, I see him, meaning the Messiah or Jesus, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men, they saw this star, right, this star that was supernaturally given to signify the birth of the Messiah and the location where he was. You've likely been, uh, all the nativity scenes you've seen has been demythologized to know that the star actually probably came a couple years after Jesus' birth. That the wise men actually didn't show up till Jesus was probably two years old. But they saw the star, and Matthew 2 recounts that the star that they had seen went before them, it guided them, and it came to rest over where Jesus was. And they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, as it says. Let's go back to this question of time. I'm going to come back to the star, too. 
Back to Adam and Eve. How long ago was that? Right? Some scholars say seven to 10,000 years ago. Some even say it was 200,000 years ago. Moses, which is around the time of, of Balaam, I believe is the 13th century before the Common Era. And Jesus' birth was 2,000 plus years ago. So for people in the Old Testament awaiting Jesus' birth, that was a long time between the original prophecy of when Jesus was gonna come to when he actually came. That was a long, long time. And I don't mean to tell you that it's gonna be a long time. What I mean to tell you is that it happened. And then Balaam said, it's not near. And now we hear it's soon. He's coming soon. Just as he did come at the beginning of uh, AD, he will come again. So here we are in 2023 AD. No further prophecies, no further revelation than the, this Bible that we have. But we have this in Revelation 22, verse 16. Look at this with me. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the long-awaited Messiah, the bright morning star. It won't be a star. It will be Jesus himself coming down from heaven. And we will see him. And we will know that he was right. He is. He has come soon. He says, behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. And the last one is surely I am coming soon. I think we want to be left with a sense of confidence and an assurance of the certainty of this. He doesn't give us a date, but it's the next thing. There's no other thing. How do we wait? We wait patiently, just like the people of God throughout the Old Testament waited for Jesus. They told the story over and over and over again. They told it to their children. There's this Messiah that's coming. They told it to their neighbors. They told it to the whole world. We too should tell the whole world, Jesus is coming. He's coming. When we wait for him, unlike the Old Testament uh, people, with the assurance of the Holy Spirit, we have a confidence, we have a, a certainty. And we wait, um, what are we waiting for? <laughs> We're waiting for salvation to be complete. We wait in sorrow, we wait still with tears. We wait still with pain. And what we're waiting for is that one day when Jesus will wipe every tear from every eye, that day when he conquers evil finally and fully, that day when pain and suffering are ended, that's what we wait for. A little town of Bethlehem I gotta be honest, it's not one of my favorite Christmas carols, but it has amazing words. The one line that grabbed me, because it's so odd, is this, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 
you ever thought about that? I get the hopes, but the fears? Are mad in Jesus? What? I think there is a possibility for meeting Jesus, filling you with fear if you set yourself as an enemy against him. But for those who are Jesus's, who by faith have washed our robes in the Lamb's blood, then all of our fears are assuaged in him. And all of our hopes are fulfilled. Let's pray.